If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and Key Stage 1 education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. Hello everybody, Andy Burt here. Welcome along to episode 71 of the Early Excellence Podcast. This week, I'm joined by my Early Excellence colleague, Matthew Sayer, as we discuss the vital importance of the prime areas of learning and also the positive impact of giving children more time. So we are going to be talking all about time and the timetable and about prime areas of learning, the prime areas of learning and how important they are. Um, now, the reason that we're talking about that is that I'm sure you found the same, that, that when I work with schools and settings at the moment, particularly schools and particularly reception classrooms, when I work with reception staff and in reception classrooms, the timings of the day at times are bonkers for want of a word you know one of a better phrase you know they're really odd really bonkers in that what we know about in terms of what's important actually often gets squeezed into the shortest period of time so we're going to be talking about the prime areas and we're going to be talking about time and the prime areas um, because actually I think it's important that somebody says it, really. It's important that somebody kind of steps up, you know, up to the parapet, if you like, puts their head above the parapet and says, hang on a minute, what about the prime areas of learning? Okay, so where do we start with this? Well, first of all, for those people, if there are people listening who are new to the EYFS or who perhaps don't teach in the EYFS, what are the prime areas? Um, do you want to give us a, a quick overview, the prime areas? Would that be all right? Yeah, yeah. so we've got um, obviously physical development, uh, communication, um, language and um, personal, social and emotional development are our prime areas. Um, and uh, the main kind of difference between prime areas and specific areas, I think, is the time sensitivity of them. You might have seen there's lots of kind of graphs bubbling around on Twitter and things, um, but but they particularly relate to the kind of prime areas. So children um, are particularly sensitive to learning, particularly the things that kind of are, are apparent or come across or are planned for within the prime areas within the years that we have them in the foundation stage. So not to five are particularly sensitive um, areas for children developing um, all those kind of dispositions and uh, whether it's kind of um, language communication um, or kind of, some of those kind of physical skills um, during those those early years. It's not to say that they can't learn them later, but it becomes much more difficult and young children are kind of primed to develop these things in those um, early years, which is why and in the kind of UK we've identified, or England certainly, in the EYFS we've identified them as prime, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and interestingly, you can spot children later on often within a primary school who have not have not developed a particular skill within the early years, and now they're in year four or in year five, and you can still see that gap. Mm -hmm. um, so the time sensitivity does, it, it, I think it, hold, it very much holds water. You see it in practice. So, you know, sometimes, you know, if you go to a school where they have lots of steps, so if, if maybe their key stage two department is upstairs and you happen to be following a group of children up the stairs, sometimes you'll see a child who will 
walk up one step at a time. And so they won't sort of cross over, if you like, where they are moving all kind of always moving, but they will they will bring both feet together on one step and then start to move on. Yeah. And that, that actually can happen. You sometimes see that even quite later on, you know, it's sort of a, a, in years four or five. That actually the child the child hasn't hasn't developed that physical skill that 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 hasn't had that opportunity to 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 really make sure they know how to do that and for that to be embedded. So you do see it sometimes, um, but yes, there's a there's a time sensitivity to it, isn't there? Also, what's set out within the statutory guidance, and it says very clearly in terms of the prime areas of learning, it talks about them underpinning all areas of learning. So where we talk about communication and language, it says very clearly, I think right at the very start of the educational programs, that communication and language underpins all learning and development across all other areas of learning. And whilst... With that quote, isn't it? I think that we use it in some of our training. It's something, I'm going to mash it all up terribly, but it's something (laughs) like um, reading and writing float on a sea of talk. Is that... Mm. You recognise that? Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah. Just that kind of alludes um, to that kind of that it underpins those Britain. Underpin. by somebody Britain, James Britain, I think. Yeah, well done. Yeah. I always, I always remember who it was by because the, it's the same name as somebody that I went to school with. James, oh, okay. I think it's James Britain is the quote from James Britain. Um, not not the person I went to school with. Less <laughs> and less. Um, yeah, it, it just strikes me that actually we don't talk enough about those prime areas of learning. You know, communication and language, as we've just said, underpins all areas of learning. And, and you could say very the same or very similar things around physical development and around personal, social and emotional development. That in order for children to learn and develop effectively, the work of Ferrolavas tells us that actually children need to have a high level of well-being. Well, you've got, you know, within personal, social and emotional development, you've got the importance of well-being. You've got the importance of self-esteem and, and, and feeling, feeling that you belong, if you like. You know, all of those sorts of, sorts of key things that actually, unless we get that, we don't, we don't learn and develop effectively. Mm-hmm. And then well, those physically, things that lead to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, aren't they? Those kind of yeah. neurological needs, psychological needs relationship needs or those sorts of things link very close Absolutely. to the areas as well, don't they? Yeah, definitely. And and then of course you've got the physical development that actually in terms of being able to to access learning and to develop, there's we need to be physically engaged in it. You know, so you know, children do need to be able to lift things, move things, transport things, use their whole bodies. They need to be exploring the world around them through using their bodies. And so physical development is a way of um, of, of accessing learning and development in, in other areas across, across the framework. Um, which then, it strikes me then that that's odd in that that's not really the picture. So in terms of timetables, if we're saying that actually the prime areas of learning, PSED, communication and language, and physical development, are underpinning learning across all areas of learning, then do our timetables show that? I'm not convinced that they do. What's your, what's your feeling on it? 
Um, yeah, yeah, no, I think, I mean, like all the things that you're on, you know, or primaries, as you talk about, are the sorts of things that really um, you need to be up and active um, and engaging um, to develop them, don't you? So, you know, I suppose you could argue fine motor is slightly different, but certainly gross motor, that building your relationships, kind of learning to operate and collaborate, developing your emotions, um, kind of dealing with those kind of negotiations, those kind of, that kind of sharing, um, caring, all those kind of things, um, learning to kind of talk with your peers, kind of explore language and um, your own kind of developing ideas around language, kind of trying out new vocabulary and things. Um, you know, the, the only way you're only going to do that is kind of out and around and about in an environment. It's kind of really hard to develop really any of those primaries if you're being led when you're being led and it's not to say there aren't times that you need to be led and there will be times of course three routines that adults kind of lead the learning um but there needs to be kind of space in our days for children to um, lead the learning um and they're often the times when those kind of prime areas i think can be best supported and children can uh, be best supported to develop them Hmm. that makes sense yeah it does. It does. Because I think often the, the picture is very different to that, you know, that actually we have, you know, a full morning of directed activity that might be phonics phon- or phonics and literacy. Then we get to lunchtime and then after lunchtime, it might be, say, mathematics. And that will maybe go through till, uh, I don't know, half, 20 past one, something like that. And then beyond that, there might then be an opportunity to explore inside and outside but that that then is very late on in the day, really, to be able to do that. When And if that's the point when actually we are building relationships, if that's the point when we are feeling, finding something that really interests us and that we're following an interest, if that's the point where we're making connections with other children and linking with other children, building friendships, feeling like we belong, if that's the making point where... Making sense of things that are being taught... Absolutely. If that's the point at which we are um, developing physically in that overall way, um, and if that's the point when actually we are talking more, then that's a very small window for those very important things to happen within. It strikes yeah. me. Yeah. Really. Um, it, the, other, I mean, the other side to it, I think, is that if you talk to a if you, if you pretty much talk to any head teacher at the moment or any early years leader at the moment and you said to them, um, what's the picture like on entry for your children? You know, at the start of reception or at the start of nursery, what's the picture like? Um, you know, what does your baseline tell you? Pretty much everybody up and down the country at the minute will say communication and language, mm-hmm. you know, that's our biggest need. That always makes me smile because yeah. whenever you go, you often go, as I'm sure you do and I'm sure other people do as well, um, go into settings and you'll talk to them about, you know, what their priorities are and, you know, what what you kind of, you know, what message are the children giving you and, you know, what are, what are some of your, your main issues. And like you say, communication and language always comes up and then they go, um, so, you know, talk, they come in with very little language, you know, they're, they're struggling to communicate, some like quite limited vocabulary. Some, some of it is around speech, some is around communication, some is around language. Um, and then you ask, so what are you doing? So, okay, so what's happening next? And nine times out of 10, they'll go phonics. And it just always makes you smile because I think, you know, so your priority is communication and language. And so what you're going to do as a priority is phonics. And I'm not saying the phonics is important, of course it is. Um, but um, 
I don't think I've ever had somebody say to me, so what we're going to do is spend a lot of time focusing on language and communication. Um, just always makes me smile. Yeah, no, no I think it's a right. sad way, but it makes me smile. Yeah, and I, I also think sometimes we we go down the wrong path. So we say, like you say, we, we, we say, well, communication and language is our biggest need. Therefore, um, actually, the, time t- <laughs> the timetable is full of everything but yeah. talk. Yeah. Um, but also, I think sometimes we go down the wrong path in that we, we say um, our biggest need is communication and language. So we've created a language rich environment. But then actually, when you step into what is the um, language rich environment, it's actually a print rich environment. It's got lots of labels up and it's yeah. got loads of words displayed. And I think there's when actually a bit of a, isn't the same thing. There's, like, there's a kind of danger in that as well, in that kind of, um, and it's not, it's not all people, that kind of slight misunderstanding of um, language rich and um, literacy word kind of rich. Yeah. Because um, I think sometimes we can put words up. And almost it kind of it's almost persuades you that your work is done. I'm not saying for all people, but there can be a kind of sense mm-hmm. that if I've got words hanging out and around and about the water tray or wherever it might be, saying splish, splash, blush, or whatever it might be, that, the, that we've done it. So the children will learn it mm-hmm. because it's hanging above their head. Um, and I know for, not for all people, um, but I think there can be a danger that you kind of, it lulls you into kind of thinking, We've done it, and somebody will come in and go, "Oh yes, I can see that you're kind of focusing on language um, because you've got splish splash splash above the the water area." But actually, almost better kind of acknowledge that that's not how children are going to learn splish splash splash. It's an adult standing next to them, talking it through, and kind of being animatedly and animated and engaged alongside these children at play. That's how they're going to uh, develop the language, and there needs to be time for the children and the adults. Uh, to do that mm. and it's certainly one of the things yeah. isn't it within the as the EYFS was reviewed um, one of the kind of key threads of that was to try and reduce workload let's kind of move away from that observational not observational assessment but evidencing and documenting children's learning quite so much so we can really kind of find a bit more time for adults to be out in the environment um, and developing those kind of prime areas alongside children because that's certainly yeah. for communication language that's the way it's going to happen yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it seems to me that sometimes we spend a lot of time creating creating written things, so written um, signs or labels to go up into areas to make it, to, to show that we are, that we've got that language or that we're putting across that language for our children. But I'm not clear as to who it's for. You know, that, so, you know, if we've got words that are hanging in the water tray, but the children can't read those words... Who are the words for? Yeah. You know, if they're all, are they for the adults? Well, if, if so, they're, they're, they're kind of like a prompt, aren't they, for adults? But you kind of think, yeah, um, uh, yeah. Well, great if that's the, if that's the case. But you kind of, we should know, shouldn't we? Really, that there's kind of certain watery words that we can be supporting the children to develop and learn without the need for them to be hanging out above the uh, water. I, think so. I just think sometimes <laughs> they just you can think that that job is done. I've done it because they're hanging yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we need to take responsibility for it. And I'm not saying most people, you know, people don't, uh, but I think there can be a uh, a sense that maybe you can, there's that kind of feeling that we don't have to focus on that quite so much because we've done it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other thing I think is important as well to, to, to touch on is that when we when we have got a timetable timetable that is as full as 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 that as I've described, 
and that actually we might not get onto those those periods of time within the day until later on when when the prime areas really are being developed that that we've got to be very careful also that during those times the adult role is very clear we've got to make sure that we're really clear that the adult role during the time when children are accessing provision is really clear and that goes back to what you were just saying about actually the adults need to know that when they're in that water area these are the words i can use and this is how i can develop the exploration within this space by modeling facilitating developing an idea, um, questioning, uh, doing all of those different sorts of things that are part of what it is to be a teacher in the early years. But that sometimes that doesn't happen because the time which is child-initiated time or the time, that, that window in the day, which, as I say, can be a short time, sometimes is seen as the time when we catch up on other things. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that, the... I mean, Sorry, Andy. Um, yeah, it's one of the things I think I talk about quite a lot on training or when I kind of go into schools for consultancy. It's one of the things that kind of comes up quite a lot is um, just having that kind of clarity about, so rather than talking about timetables, talking about routines, uh, make sure that kind of rhythm to the day that the children kind of are aware of. I'm trying to simplify things a bit because timetables are, are more, you could argue, are a key stage one, key stage two uh, type thing that's kind of being filtered down into the foundation stage so if we kind of think more in terms of routine and kind of simplify things so we have that kind of what you might call like a high scope model so you kind of go um whole group time small group time child initiated time um and but the, the important thing about that, that whole kind of rhythm uh well one of the important things about that whole rhythm is um that children have a kind of sense of it but then um the children aren't left alone in that child initiated bit that because i think what I, I don't know about you but when i, I kind of see um uh, i don't always get the sense that children aren't having enough time to play but i think it's it's too often unsupported play um so those kind of primary areas aren't being supported as well so i've just kind of alluded to you're not going to learn those kind of words if there's not an adult alongside you playing um so it's that kind of clarity about as you were saying about our role so once the children move into child initiated time then the adults need to do the same so you stop leading and you start being led um, and you teach the children through uh, their kind of more playful endeavors um, and i think that's maybe the bit that's um just difficult because of all the pressures so as you say adults are feeling the need to kind of catch up on other things rather than really value that child initiated time and recognize that um there can be real powerful learning happening there but that powerful learning will only be really powerful if the adults are finding a way to get alongside the children um so yeah one of the things we talk about i'm sure you do the same is just not um being really clear um as you move into child initiated time that the role of the adult is to kind of support the children, not try to catch up on other things. Yeah, because it is often the case that actually it's during that child-initiated time where interventions happen. Yeah. You know, where, where actually the adults are used to do other things, meaning that, again, the, at the time within the day which could be there for really developing those prime areas of learning, again, isn't quite working as well as it could do because at that point where we are we are using our time in other ways again yeah and i think we again we have to kind of sometimes in the foundation stage you have to it's one of the roles of the foundation stage teacher is advocate the young children isn't it and we recognize that we need to try and get that kind of balance between uh, that kind of 
balanced pedagogical approach. So yes, we lead, but then children lead and we support alongside the children and teach alongside the children. Um, and uh, one of those pushbacks sometimes can be, yes, we understand the need for interventions at times, um, but we have, you know, our, in, within our day, we have times when adults lead. They're the time for interventions. Um, and when children are leading, they're the times for adults to work alongside children at play. So that's a conversation that you might need to have with uh, senior leaders or whoever it might be to kind of work away through that. Um, but you could quite easily argue that there's plenty of time within school days when um, you know, like your routine is set up and adults are leading. So use that time for interventions and um, kind of keep that child-initiated time uh, pure in that, that kind of sense so that adults and children are playing together. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and and there is, you're, you're right in saying that actually there is a pressure there, I think, sometimes, you know, that, that people feel a pressure that actually we've got to put in more more phonics, more literacy, more mathematics. And and certainly within the, the statutory guidance, when it talks specifically about reception, it does talk about more of, there will be more of a focus in the reception year on the specific areas. You know, it just does start to talk about that, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but to, it, it's not to me it's always about thinking about your children about the needs of the children and in fact Ofsted talk a lot about this don't they you know what are the needs of the children on entry and is your practice meeting the needs of those children and it, like we said earlier on it just strikes me that sometimes we know the needs of the children but that actually we then we then don't then put the practice in place that is going to meet those children in turn in in relation to the time that we spend doing certain things. Yeah, so all that other priorities kind of bump up against what we kind of know are the, the needs of the children, aren't they? Yeah. Kind of to skew things a bit too much in one yeah. um, and, and in the other direction, I think, through our routines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it this in terms of sort of playing devil's advocate, I suppose some some people might be listening to this and think and saying, well, actually, um, we have got a timetable that has got phonics, then literacy, then mathematics, and yes, that is most of the day. However, within that time, we get our children up and we do we do songs or we do movement on the carpet and we do, I don't know, do disco to develop our physical skills. Um, we do we, we do talk partners on the carpet, etc. etc. And those are the prime areas. You know, there is that argument, isn't there? Yeah, but to me, that's the, the counter to that would be that, as we know, for young children, that they need kind of time and space uh, to develop mm. those kind of primaries or any area of learning, really. And, you know, a little bit of do disco over here or a little bit of wake up and shake up over there is not the same as a good hour clear of being able to communicate and talk and uh, make sense of and use new words or uh, develop a particular physical skill or uh, develop a line of thought it, it's completely different isn't it it's a it's a little bit here and a little bit there rather than kind of sustained deep level you alluded to uh, what you talked about for a was a little bit earlier and his kind of notion of levels of involvement um, and for in order for children to really develop and learn and challenge themselves to the limits of their capabilities they need time to do that don't they and um, and best will in the world, those little bits of snippets of time here or there, um, you're never going to get those kind of that kind of deep level. And one of those things that we've um, that's kind of running through the new UFS is about mastery, isn't it? And mastery behaviour. You don't get mastery behaviour with a little bit here and a little bit there. You get mastery behaviour when children are given the time and space to develop their thinking, their kind of skills, their kind of knowledge um, over a longer period of time. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the other thing that I think is linked to try this, there, devil. Well, Good not try. I'm not I you've been head, I've been headed off at the pass. <laughs> devil's advocate card. Um, the other thing that I think is is quite interesting that I think relates to this is that sometimes I think we see again going back to the timetable, things are often kind of um, sort of pigeonholed. Either so that we get kind of the directed teaching happens. Then the group table teaching happens. And then if you're not doing that, you're going off into the provision. And uh, that actually they're seen as almost like separate compartments. Yeah. When to me, the, the best teaching that I've seen, the really inspirational stuff that I've seen is where actually, you know, the children do have a period of time where they're exploring and playing and engaging with ideas and, and sharing what their ideas are and making links and making connections, all of those fascinating things. And then... At the end of that period of time, we come back to the carpet and the adults say, right, tell me about how you got on with it. Yeah. Tell me about what worked. Tell me about what didn't work. Tell me about, did you have everything you needed when you were talking about this? Or do I need to bring something in to give to you? Um, it's interesting. You were, you were telling me about this. I want to show you this because you won't, you won't believe this on the big screen that links to what you were just saying. You see what I mean? That kind of way of valuing their learning, valuing their ideas, which again is linked to those primaries, the PSED particularly, but then also not thinking, well, as soon as we come back from, from playing, as soon as we come back from, from tidying up, we come back to the carpet, we're straight into directed again. Yeah. Because actually sometimes when we do that, I think it's almost like you've had that time now, you finished with that. Yeah. Now it's learning time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so it's, it's, like, it's, it's kind of valuing it all, isn't it? It's trying to value, mm. kind of value it all. It's, it's what you're talking about, really, isn't it? It's like the plan, do, review cycle. Um, mm. So within that child initiated session, we get children to think about what they're going to do, go off and do it. Adults engage, then come back, and we show that we really value it by yes, playing alongside children, but also having a you know a, a shared moment about what they found out, what they enjoyed, what didn't work out so well. You make links to other learning for them that they wouldn't possibly be able to do without you, which is important. Mm. It's important that you're there. Um, so yeah, it's that kind of that that kind of cycle thing is. Uh, what you're talking to but yeah. there's also that other the second element to that is that um that kind of seamless bit that you're talking about where you see things working really effectively is what we see children doing during those child initiated sessions um can inform what we do during our more directed time as i say sometimes we're not careful it all becomes a bit compartmentalized and one doesn't inform the other but you know in in the kind of best work that you see then what we see children doing whether it's indoors or outdoors during those kind of more playful times um you kind of learn more about and get deeper insights into them as a learner and that informs your directed activity the next session or the following day um or whenever it might be that makes yeah. sense Make Makes good sense. It's what we are aiming for. Now, I, it, I said at the very beginning, it, it strikes me that in many cases, the timetable is like, is how I've described. You know, that, that it is very much that kind of full timetable. And it's often only later on, particularly in reception, that we get to the, the times in the day when, when we are really valuing those, those, those broader skills, but also the prime areas. Um, now, I just wonder for people who are listening to this. I think it would be it would be great if people kind of got in touch 
So, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm talking from, from my experience, what I see, you're talking, Matthew, you're talking from, from what you see, your experience. It might not be the case absolutely everywhere. And I thought it'd be quite interesting, actually, if people got in touch and let us know, let us know what's your experience of this in terms of timings, in terms of timetable. Maybe you've tried something different. Maybe you've tried something different that you, that you think, actually, no, I'm glad we did this because this works. Maybe you've tried... Um, that kind of those longer periods of time. I, th- I, I think certainly you do time, you know, at a, at a time when um, overall, when budgets are incredibly tight, which they are, there's no doubt about that and have been for a number of years. Um, it strikes me that time is a, is a resource that is free. You know, it's it's not something that actually you have to think. Well, crikey, we have to wait until the next next budget year, and if if you know, even when we get to that, I might not be able to afford it. Time is a free resource, and and it is the resource that actually can often make the biggest difference to practice. Yeah, it's actually one of the first yeah. things I can remember when I was first working with early excellence, and like I sat in on other early excellence trainers uh, as kind of part mm. of my induction, and I can really, it's always stuck with me um, as one of the trainers. Um, talked about one of the best ways to raise the quality of what you're doing with young children out in the provision is just give them a bit more time. And as you say, you know, budgets are tight. Um, and I'm not saying it's easy, um, but it, relatively speaking, it's quite a cheap way to often raise the quality of, of what's happening. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, that if you give children, I don't know, 20 minutes or half an hour to engage in uh, effective learning, then... You're not going to see that usually straight away. It often takes 10 minutes for yeah, the children yeah. to really start to get to that level of engagement that we're after. I think Julie talked about only can to get more shorter amounts of time, I mean, more kind of faffing around type play. Yeah. I kind of think of it as an adult, don't you? If you've got like 15 minutes, if you're waiting for a taxi, 15 minutes, you kind of scroll through the TV, flip through a magazine, you don't mm-hmm. do very much with the time. You know, you've got an hour, and you kind of go, oh, I might get the low, the, I might mow the lawn or wash the car or do the ironing. <laughs> you might not. Um, but there's, more, there's a greater likelihood that you'll do something. If you've got a bit more time, you can set yourself and you'll go deep. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to be you're going to be doing something much more purposeful, and the children will be doing something much more purposeful yeah, if actually right. you give longer time. And also, there's a knock-on effect usually in terms of behaviour. Yeah, yeah. If children are then engaged over a longer period of time, you're often then not not always, but often then not dealing with quite as many behaviour issues because actually some behaviour issues are come from a lack of engagement. Yeah, yeah. And the timetable yeah. does impact on that. You know, the yeah. stops and starts lead to a, lead to quite often that lack of engagement. Yeah, well, uh, not about time being squeezed that so children can't see through their what well, they'll have a plan. You know, if you can't think that plan to recycle, they've planned something out and they want to see it to its end. And if that's kind of cut short, you can see why. And lots of children might be able to articulate that, but that's kind of frustrating. I was nearly there. I was just about to finish it. You're telling me it's time to kind of clear up. And um, and of course, there are times when you know that has to happen, and children have to learn a way of managing that. But um, which is why it's so important that you have that kind of routine and that rhythm to the day, so that children have start to learn that real sense of, well, I've got this amount of time and it's a good amount of time so I can plan accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. And then you kind of hopefully avoid those frustrations that you're kind of talking about, I think, more often than not. Yeah, 
important stuff. So yes, so it would be great if people get in touch, if this has made you think in terms of the timings of your day, maybe you've tried something that works, maybe you've tried having those longer periods of time for your children to engage and that you've seen, you are seeing a positive impact of that perhaps. Um, maybe you're using your adults in a different way um, or maybe the opposite. Maybe you are finding that actually your timetable is completely squeezed and you're thinking, well, crikey, what's the way around this? I hope this has got you thinking. I hope it's really helped you to think through actually what works, what doesn't work, what do I value? Maybe what should I value? Um, and certainly, you know, if you are if you are feeling as an earliest teacher or earliest leader under pressure in terms of the timetable, I think this particular episode would be a good one to share with senior leaders and with head teachers as well. We've covered a lot of ground here. All right, uh, Matthew, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. A really interesting conversation again, really interesting discussion. Uh, thank you ever so much. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. It. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheerio. So there you go. Thank you again for listening, everybody. I hope that it's got you thinking and also reflecting on your practice as well. If it has got you thinking, you might want to access some of our free resources on the Early Excellence website. There are continuous provision plans, audit tools, blogs to share with your team, and also some free training videos too. It's well worth a look. Um, that's about it from me. Have a good week, everybody, and we'll see you next time.